our 13th week in uh, 1 John. We've been studying it for a while. We've got about six weeks left, which will get us right up until Christmas, which is on a Sunday this year. So, excited about that. Uh, so, Christmas Sunday, we'll look to probably have a sermon that's uh, directly looking at the incarnation and birth, specifically, of, of Jesus. And then we'll start a new sermon series at the beginning of the year. Um, some books that we're looking to do uh, within the very near, near future. I'm not sure the order here, but um, probably go to the Old Testament. I'm going to do the book of Jonah. A, we are going to do a, a short uh, topical series, which we do on, on occasion. We're okay with them once in a while. Um, uh, we're going to do them on uh, so-called re- respectable sins. Um, we'll be doing uh, something on on gluttony, um, pride, uh, fear of man, uh, sins that aren't necessarily uh, addressed often and, and are somewhat respectable in, in Christendom today, but nevertheless are sins that pull us from God and to Satan, so they're worth uh, exposing. And then we're looking to do Revelation uh, sometime soon, so that should be that should be exciting. So all that's happening in in 2012. I know you're on the edge of your seat right now. Yes. So John, he is. Um, we've talked about this before. He he's most likely he's an old pastor by now, um, and he's writing to some people in a church that he loves. It's a church that he uh, at least pastored in, but it's very likely that he helped plant this church. So uh, we planted Veritas and three years ago, and, and we were just this small group. I remember meeting in my uh, living room right over here in, in West Roseville. So we'd get up in the morning and eat cereal and watch Sports Center on my couch. And then two hours later, we'd be having church. It was kind of weird. And it, was, it was cool. And uh, so we started with a with small group. Many of you are, are still around. Raise your hand if you were in that living room. Very cool. So hey, you, you remember that and the, the, the relationships and the, 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 the bonds that were, were forged real, real early on. And uh, for many of us, those of you that haven't left, we, we've got a love for one another. <laughs> Clearly, right? You're still here. Um, we, we love and, and care for one another. Um, and I would call you, along with the many who have been added that I've had an opportunity to spend time with, uh, I would call you my, my beloved, which is how John writes to this church. And he's writing to them because he's, he's gone now, and he left other pastors in charge, uh, but he's writing to them because they're, they're in a lot of trouble. Uh, the church is in trouble. Uh, they had some people leave the church, and those people that, that left the church are, are believing things and are teaching things that are not true. They are contradictory to what John calls um, what you heard from the beginning. Okay, The truth that saved you. The truth that changed you. The truth that was from God. And he's talking about the Gospel. He's talking about Jesus plus nothing. And, and, and they began to, those who left, they began to believe something different and now they're actually teaching something different. And so the people are just 
they seem to be a mess that he's writing to. I mean, they're confused. They're, they're, they don't understand how that can happen. You hear him talking to them, you know, because they're, they're concerned and thinking, well, how do we know that's not going to happen to us? How do we know that we're not going to fall for some kind of false teaching? Uh, were those people ever Christians? Were they, were they Christians and then they were not Christians? Because that seems to disagree with what we're here, hearing Paul talk about and with what Jesus said, that, that once we're saved, we're saved. And, and they have lots of questions. They're, they're insecure about their own security in Christ. And so you hear John, you know, just beloved, my dear children, my little children, you hear him writing to them to help them to see the difference between truth and lies. And so he's retelling them in the book of 1 John. All he's doing, it's nothing new of course, he's retelling them the Gospel. He's retelling the truth to them that they may be grounded once again in the truth and be able to discern good teaching from false teaching. And so he's asked them a bunch of questions. He said, do you believe in Jesus? And then he fleshes out what that really means. Do you, do you believe in Jesus? Do you, do you love Jesus? Do you, do you obey Jesus? Do you love people? Do you love people in deed and truth? Do you love people the way, the way Jesus loves people? And he's trying to affirm them and say, if you do, if you believe in this Jesus, okay, Jesus God, come in the flesh, lived perfectly, died in your place, was resurrected in your place that you may put your faith. If this is the Jesus that you love and trust, he's saying, be assured, okay, something has happened. You don't just believe that unless God has saved you. He's saying, do you obey him? Do you, do you obey Jesus even when you don't want to obey him? We know what that's like. We know the struggle. You don't always just open up God's Word and read what it says to do and go and do it. There's a struggle there. He says, but where do you land? Is your life characterized by disobedience or by obedience? Do you, do you love Him and want to follow Him? And do you love people? Do you love His children specifically in His church? And do you love them in deed and truth? Are you committed to them? Are you devoted to them? Is there a deep affection that, that really expresses itself with them? And he's asking them those questions so that they would see, okay, yes, Yes, yes. And he's saying, then you have been born of God, is what he's saying. You've been born of God. Rest assured. But he's also asking that question to and for them to ask of those who are no longer with them, who are no longer believing in Jesus, who are no longer loving the church the way they should, and who are no longer obeying the words of Jesus, that they may be able to discern now okay, what the good teaching is and the good teachers and what the false teaching is and the false teachers. So today what we're looking at in the first six verses of chapter 4 is, he is John is writing to his readers and he's writing to help them and of course it's going to help us. He's writing to help them discern the spirits that are at work and whether the teaching that is coming from them and through men whether it is from God or whether it is from the Antichrist. Whether it's good or whether it's bad. And he wants to help them discern the difference. And so it will be helpful for us. Lord willing, it will be helpful for us too to be able to discern the good teaching from the bad teaching. Let's pray. We'll get into 1 John chapter 4. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for this afternoon, this day that You have given us. Uh, we thank You for the, uh, the rain 
We thank You for this warm place for us to, to meet. We thank You for the shelter and the, the provision that You've given us. Um, some of us, You've just given us extravagant blessings. Thank You, God. We know that every good gift comes from You, and so we, we give You praise and we give You glory. God, help us to never boast in these gifts. Help us to never boast in the things that we have. Help us to always and only boast in You so that if anything and everything would disappear tomorrow, we would be so grateful and so glad and so full of joy because You don't go anywhere. We thank You for Your Holy Word. We thank You for the truth which lies therein. We thank You for the many good teachers who have gone before us. And we thank You that Your Word and Your truth has resounded through those good teachers over and above the false teachers. We thank You that You are on Your throne. We're thankful that You reign. We're thankful that You are sovereign and in control of every minute detail. So as Your children gathered today for Your worship, to love You, to honor You, and serve You, we ask that now You'd help us as we read Your Word. Help us to hear. Help us to understand. Help us to do. We pray this in the great name of Jesus. Amen. So if you've got a Bible, open to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1-6. through 6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you somewhere. In the text we're reading today, he's going to call them by two different names, his readers, the same two phrases he's used over and over again throughout this book, these terms of endearment, beloved, and little children. So the chapter starts out, beloved. So he is writing to his readers, and he's going to tell them to not do something and to do something. And so just want to make this clear real quickly, that what he's about to ask them to do and not do is not the duty of just uh, pastors or teachers. This is the duty of Christians. So he's not addressing now uh, the pastors in the church. He's addressing everybody. And the work that he's about to ask us to do, unfortunately, is sometimes left up to uh, those with titles or offices like pastor or elder or deacon or teacher. But he's telling us, hey, this is all of your responsibility. This responsibility belongs to all of us. And here's what he encourages us with. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Very clear statement he makes. Don't do this. Do this. He says, listen up church. Don't do this. Do this. Don't do this. Don't believe every spirit. Spirit. Rather, do this. Test the spirits. Test the spirits to see whether or not they are actually from God. So he's introducing us here to this spiritual world that, that is at work. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about this. Verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, clearly, Paul says here, and this is what John is, is tapping into in verse 1 of chapter 4, there is more than meets the eye. There is. We know from reading the entire Bible that there is a, a physical world and there is a spiritual world. And God made both. God made the physical world that we see and that we touch. And God also made the spiritual world that we don't see, that we don't touch, but is interacting with us and we are interacting with it our entire lives. So we know from reading Scripture that God made the, the physical world. God made, for example, people whom you and I can look around and see. And God also made, for example, angels. We do not see. Some of you think you've seen them. We're not here to judge. He's made a physical world. He's made people that we've seen. He's also made a spiritual world. He's made angels that we, we have not seen. And we know too that at, at some point, okay, there was one angel in particular, right? We're talking about the spiritual world now. And this right here is going to be the explanation for everything that is wrong and awful and evil in this physical world. In the spiritual world, at some point, there was an angel, and this angel proudly rebelled against God and, and, and decided that, that he wanted to be like God. He wanted to have the, the power that God had and believed that he had that ability. And so he rebelled against God, and angels rebelled with him against God and he lost. Now this angel, this uh, arch or arch deceiver, we know is Satan. And those angels who followed him are his demons. And so you see in the very beginning of your Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, you see this interaction between the physical world and the spiritual world. We see that Eve and then Adam are tempted they are tempted by Satan himself, by demonic influence, and they're tempted to do what? To disobey God. God very clearly said, said, hey, isn't this great? Everything is perfect and wonderful. It's, it, to Adam and Eve, it's you, your wife, you're just, you're naked, you're eating fruit. I love you, you love me, this whole world is for you, you've got a garden. It's just, just wonderful, and God gave them one instruction, you remember. Just one instruction. There's just one tree. Don't eat the fruit off of that tree. But they were tempted by Satan. And the way that he tempted them was to lie to them, to deceive them, and to tell them, no, God actually, He's keeping things from you. God is the liar. He's the deceiver. If you eat this fruit, right, you're going to be like God. And he showed them, he says, doesn't, doesn't the fruit look good? Doesn't it look 
wonderful and it's beautiful and it's tasty. I mean, does that, re- does that really look like a bad tree? Does that look like something that you need to stay away from? But it didn't. She, she saw that it was good and pleasing to the eye and it would be enjoyable. So she ate the fruit and disobeyed God. Because of the forces that were at work in the spiritual world, luring and tempting us away from God. And so this is the, the tension that we live in today. There is truth that is from God, and there is lies that are from Satan. And it is the spiritual world and the spiritual agendas that come in and come through God's truth, good teachers, and Satan's lies through false teachers. And so John is writing so that we would be able to make a distinction. Because it doesn't show up all nasty, funky, and ugly. It looks like the beautiful tree in the garden. That's what, fall, that's, what, that's what wrong doctrine looks like. That's what false truth looks like. That's what the lies of the enemy look like. It's not like we have a, a worship service and we say, we're going to have a guest speaker today. And I bring a guy out and you're like, he has a pitchfork. <laughs> and he's red. And it's not a costume. And there, Are those horns? split foot, I mean a tail, and he's cussing us out. And I mean, none of you, you'd be like, I am so discerning. I know. I just know. There's something wrong with that guy. No, there would be no, there would be no discernment involved. And no, most likely, no deception would take place. Because you're going to see right through that. He's red. I mean, you're going to see right through that. So it comes to us in very nice packaging. So there's, don't, don't take this for granted. John said, look, you see all the people that have already been duped? These people that you loved and look up to and respected and now they're, they're gone? So I need to write to you so that you know how can you discern what is from God and what is not from God. 1 Timothy 4.1 He says, remember, Paul says that in, in later times, some are going to do what? They're going to depart from the faith. And, and how are they going to depart from the faith? So they're going to leave the good teaching. They're going to leave the church. And, and how, what is it that they're going to do instead? It is by devoting themselves to two things. Deceitful spirits. Deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. So what happens? There's a spiritual world and there's deceitful teaching. There's demonic teaching. Deceitful spirits who want to deceive us. Who do they work for? They don't work for God. They work for Satan. And it's going to come to us through teachers and that he calls the teaching of demons. And so there was a heads up given 2,000 years ago that you can expect this. And those who John is writing to are experiencing that right now. It's the same thing in the latter part, right? This is what John is referring to when he says, okay, test the Spirit to see whether they are from God. 
And what's his reason for saying that? Well, why do I need to test the spirits? I mean, why, why, can't, why do I need to have my guard up? Why do I need to be, be, be paranoid like this, John? What's his reason? For or because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He doesn't say because there's some bad teaching out there. He says many, and, and we've had 2,000 years now of it, and they've been writing books for 2,000 years, and they've had predecessors, and they've passed false teaching on through generations, and false teachers have, have built upon faulty foundations of their forefathers. I mean, that's what we have going on now. So he says there are many this is the reason there are many false prophets that have already gone out into the world. He's saying this is a reality. The false teaching, it is out there and it will, it will lure you in. And so you've got to be able to test the spirits to see whether or not it, it is from God. There is not one spirit at work. So we have to be discerning. And so what he's telling us is that when we hear something through uh, a teacher or a book or the radio or the internet or maybe it's just you and your Bible. And there's just a spirit at work and you think you're seeing something in the Bible or hearing something in Scripture. And John's saying, just because you got the book at a Christian bookstore, just because it's a Christian radio station, just because you've been uh, a Christian for uh, a really long time, just because it's not YouTube, it's GodTube, that could be a tangent, just because it's popular, you're saying you need to test it. You need to test it. But we hear Christians or you yourself have experienced this and you, you listen to teaching and you start believing this teaching and, and you hear the kinds of reasons that come out of people's mouths. I like it. I like it. I'm always concerned if I go to a, a conference or a seminar and hear teaching and we leave and what's the question? Everybody always sits around and asks themselves, right? Like you went to a movie, what would you think? What would you think of that talk? It's always concerning when somebody says, I really liked it. Oftentimes, I know what I really... Because that's different from saying, you know, it was, it was what I needed to hear, or it was, it was solid truth, or it was convicting, or it gave me joy. And sometimes when we say something like, I like it, well, what, what likes it? The, the flesh or the spirit that is at work within us? And oftentimes, just whether or not you like it, that, doesn't, that does not matter. So you've got to test these spirits objectively the way Paul is going to advise us to. So I'm saying this, don't assume that, that, that your discernment is just so sharp that you're in this, 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 this place of your Christian walk 
where all you need to rely on is whether or not you like it. And so if you hear it and you don't like it, you know that it's probably not truth. And if you really like it, it probably is truth. Actually, actually, the opposite might be true, even for a mature believer. If you don't like it, it just might be truth. And if you like it, it just might be heresy. See, either way, you're going to have to discern and test. Another thing that we say, someone swallowing up teaching, and you ask them, well, you know, where did you get this, or why do you like this? And, and they say something like, maybe not, I like it, but it's Christian. It's Christian. I really like this music. I really like this book. Why? Because it's, it's Christian. And what they mean by it's Christian is they said it's Christian. Like the author. I read the back, you know, cover, and it said that he's a Christian. So your discernment needs to go beyond someone self-identifying themselves as a Christian. Because like three-quarters of the United States of America claim to be Christian. And what they mean is probably very different from what you mean, and it's definitely different from what John means. Or I got it at a Christian bookstore. It's, I'm not going to do what I usually do. <laughs> but it's like, the, the, it should be that, that that would work. We have a Christian bookstore. We have like 12 books. <laughs> and we really recommend them. And you can buy them. There's many more good books, but there's some good ones. But a Christian bookstore, you should be able to go to a place like Christian. Christian bookstore. Like the bookstore came to know Jesus. Christian bookstore. That should be a wonderful place to go into. And, you, and sometimes you do, you go in, right? And the music, it's just, oh, it's Christian. And by that we mean it's just so good and pleasant. It's just not dirty and filthy like on the other side of those glass doors. I'm so thankful to be in this little haven right now. I mean, you got like this life-size cardboard cutout of Chuck Swindoll greeting you as you come in the door. It's just wonderful. You know, they got hot cocoa. Uh, the people are just over Prozac and just happy to see you and just, you know. And then you go, though, and you start, I'm doing it, though. And you start reading, and you start reading the titles of some of the books, and you realize, you know, this isn't good. But it's a Christian book. But it's Christian. You've got to apply the test. John is not saying, okay, listen, I know there's false teaching and there's bad teaching. List, just, just listen. Just settle down into a Christian bookstore and read what they got. That's not what he's saying. Because what he's saying is, is that going to a Christian bookstore, trying to find something Christian, it really, to me it really is like going down the middle of the street and taking a manhole off the middle of the street and dropping a fishing line for dinner. Maybe you'll get something good. But most likely, you're going to get a turd. Okay? The Christian bookstore, if somebody owns a Christian bookstore, I'm really sorry. But you need to be a better gatekeeper. It's, it's possible. It's possible. But be careful. These are not the kind of tests. Or, or it's, it's popular. Or it's popular. Again, that can be the opposite, most likely. If something is really popular or it's spiritual and it just connects, Jonah's saying, no, that, that doesn't matter. 
But a million people have viewed it on YouTube. And I'm looking at the comments and they all seem solid and they all seem like Christians. I got it from the Christian bookstore and it's on the Christian radio station. And he says, we only got seven days and then we're gone. And I'm hearing these things and it should be good, but it's just, it's not necessarily. That's not how you discern as Christians. That's just the point we're making and John is making. That is not how you discern He's going to say something completely and totally different. This is how you discern. Verses 2 and 3. By this, you know the Spirit of God. What follows? This is how you know the Spirit of God. This is how you tell the difference is what he's saying. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So verse 2, he says it positively. This is how you discern the Spirit of God. There is a confession that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. We'll talk about what that means. But he says this is how you're going to discern. Okay, you, you're reading the book, you're listening to the teacher, you've got the radio station on, you're in the bookstore. How do I discern whether this is from God or not from God? He says there will be, if it's from God, a confession that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And then, how do you discern that it is the spirit of Antichrist? How do I discern that this is heresy, that this is false doctrine? How do I know that this is not from God? And so he says it negatively. Very simple. There is no confession that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is how you discern what's from God and what is not. If it's from God, then there is a confession that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now confession means you profess something openly. You acknowledge it. You declare it. So you don't need to dig deep for this. If you're hearing something and you're reading something, we're so, we're so quick. And it's not discernment. We're so quick to pronounce something Christian. We, we see somebody on television in a TV show say, oh my gosh. And we think, I'll bet they're a Christian. <laughs> Why else would they do that? I wonder if they've written a book. Confession. John says, here's what you're looking for. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. An open declaration. Literally, what he's saying is, this is the message of the truth. That Jesus is the Christ who has come in the flesh. When it says Jesus Christ, it means Jesus the Christ. Christ was not his last name. Not Jesus, Joseph, and Mary Christ. Christ is, is the Greek word Christos. It's a translation of the word Messiah or anointed one, the Savior, the rescuer who God said was going to come and save us from our sin. Jesus is the Christ. And so if it's true, if it's from God, 
There will be a confession openly. You won't have to dig deep for it and get to page 127 that Jesus is the Christ. Everything will hinge on that. That will be the message. The Gospel will be paramount. Jesus is the Messiah. He came in the flesh. Remember the heresy at this time is that Jesus was just a man. And then when He was baptized, the Christ or the Messiah came and descended on Him and helped Him to live this perfect life. And then before He died, because God couldn't go to the cross and suffer and die, He ascended back into heaven and Jesus the man died. That was the heresy at the time. And so John is saying, let me help you make a distinction. Jesus is the Christ who came in the flesh. He was God at birth. He was God His entire life. And He was God when He died. It's the dual nature of Christ. He was always God and He was always a man. Always both. And He was the Messiah. The One who has been promised. So what John is saying to us is this is how you discern that it is from God. If it is from God, the Gospel will be at the center. So Jesus, as the Messiah, will not be downplayed. It will not be marginalized. It will not be undermined. It will not be hidden. It will not be subliminal. It will not be added to. It will not be taken away from. He's not just saying, oh, if you read on page 17, yeah, Jesus Christ came in the flesh. That's not what he's talking about. There will be an open declaration, a shouting, a confession that Jesus is the promised One, the Messiah, sent to take the sins of the world. He came as God in the flesh. And that needs to be the heartbeat and the passion of whatever the teaching is. And if that's not the centerpiece, then it's probably not from God, is what John is saying. So how many things does that rule out? I mean, it, doesn't that make us as believers much more skeptical of what we're listening to and reading? We're not saying that right out of the gate we can you know, make these snap judgments and discern whether or not something is from God or not. But we should be very careful if it is not clear from the starting point that Jesus is the Christ who has come in the flesh. We try to make it the point that there is never a sermon that is preached here, and I don't think there has been in three and a half years, where the center of the sermon is the cross. The point of the sermon is always Jesus. Not you, not me, not good works. Jesus. He is always the centerpiece. The question I have to ask myself before I get up here on a Sunday, is did Jesus Christ have to die on the cross for my sins in order for me to preach this sermon? If He didn't, then I've got to crumple it up and start over. Do you ask yourself at the end of your day, did Jesus Christ have to die on the cross in my place for me to live my day like that? Or is it inconsequential to how you lived your life? When you're reading a book, did Jesus Christ have to die on the cross in your place for this book to be written? And if that is marginalized, and if that is undermined, and if that is added to or taken away from, then you can know it is not from God. 
It needs to be more than just saying, I believe in Jesus. In a Christian subculture where everyone believes in Jesus, it means very different things by that. So we've got to be discerning. In the second part of verse 3, so if a teacher or teaching or an understanding, if it diminishes in any way that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh, then it is not from the Spirit of God. Rather, this is the Spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now how do you think that how do you think they took that? Remember, they have just lost some of their best friends and their best teachers to heresy. It wasn't just the guy who came in for a couple Sundays and they never saw him again. These were men and women that they honored and respected and looked up to. That's why they're struggling so much and asking John these questions that he's responding to in this letter. And they're hearing this wondering, how is that possible? How were they just duped like that? How could they listen to something? How could they all of a sudden be on a different team? How could they go out from us like that? And John says, listen, discern, be careful what you put in your mind. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you watch. Because there's a lot of garbage out there that is from the Antichrist. It's not from God. So don't open your mouth and swallow it. Lock it out. So be discerning, he's saying. He's not just saying, you know, it's some funky teaching. It's not the best teaching. We don't want to make judgments like this on teaching. Yeah, it's not the best. That wasn't really that helpful for me. If it wasn't about the Gospel, and if Jesus Christ didn't have to die on the cross for it to be written, then just come out and say, it's probably from the Antichrist. We should have those kinds of walls not against people, but against teaching and swallowing and hearing and entertaining and embracing. We should have walls up against doing that if the Gospel and Jesus the Christ come in the flesh is not the centerpiece of what we're listening to. He's trying to safeguard them. Because what's to say in five years, half of this church he's writing to hasn't followed these false teachers? You think that's not a concern for John? It is. Because he knows since the beginning of creation, from the beginning of creation, from the fall in the garden, the good people have been getting deceived. Well-meaning people have been getting deceived. Smart people with degrees who can teach have been getting deceived. Respectable, honored, looked up to people have been getting deceived. He says, discern. Be careful.
Verse 4, he now addresses those specifically who, praise God, have not gone anywhere. They haven't been deceived. They haven't gone out. They haven't fallen for this teaching. They haven't swallowed it. And you know what he's going to do, right? He's going to praise them for how smart they are. I just want to encourage you for not being a moron. Like those other fools that left. Nobody never says that. God's Word never gives us the slightest opportunity to boast in ourselves. Never. I mean, sometimes don't you wish it did? I mean, sometimes they say, come on. Can I own any of this? I mean, that's my, that's my pride. Can I, can I just own a bit of this? I mean, come on. I had to have some involvement here. I did something. I mean, I'm not that guy. And there's just, there's just the Bible just never gives you any, any room, any opportunity. It's just like, no, it's not you, 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 it's not you. It's all of God, it's all of God, it's all of God, it's all of God. Because God knows what we would do with an inch. So, he encouraged little children, you are from God. And have overcome them. It says two things. Number one, you are from God. We know what that means in the context of this letter. You have been born of God. Because listen, I know you're struggling, but you've applied the tests that I've been giving you. You love Jesus. You believe the gospel. You're obeying Jesus. You're submissive to his word. You're loving others in deed and truth. Some of you remember last week, your heart condemns you. But God is greater than your hearts. God knows everything. He knows that you're His own. He knows that you belong to Him. Be encouraged. Be assured. You are of God. And the second part is you have overcome them. You is Christians. It works for us. Christians have overcome them. And in this context, the them is heretics. It's false teachers. It's those promoting false teaching. The spirit of error, he's going to say in verse 6. He's saying, you have overcome them. Christians, those of you who are here, he's saying, you have, have been tempted. This is what has happened for, for this group. Who There were those in their church who bought the false teaching and left, but others didn't. And so they haven't been deceived. They haven't gone along. He says, you've overcome them. It means that you have, been, you have been tempted with false doctrine and you have been victorious over the temptation to follow false doctrine. To listen to teaching that is popular or easier or is attractive or is appealing to you. He's saying that's a good thing. You are of God and you have overcome them. And then he gives the ground for their overcoming. Right, So this is where he doesn't say, you guys are just so insightful. I mean, how did you do that? I mean, this was a good one. And I really thought that more people were going to be out the door with this. And, but you, you hung in there. You, you're so committed 
to your church, you faithful church members. I'm so glad that you just didn't buy into this garbage, but you had the wit and the mind and the discernment to see right through that. That's not what he says. The ground for them overcoming them is this, for or because He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. So we saw last week that same phrase, God is greater than your discouraging, depressing, often lying, condemning heart. And God is also greater than the great condemner, the great accuser, the great deceiver. He who is in you, Christian, who's in you according to 1 Corinthians 3.16? For you are God's temple. Do you not know this? And God's Spirit lives in you. He who is in you is God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is greater than Satan. Please. It's not even a fair fight. It's not, you know, UFC 139, God v. Satan, Holy Spirit versus demons. It's not a fair fight. There's no, there's no odds here. There's no, there's no betting on the match. There's no uncertainty. The Holy Spirit who is in you, John says, is greater than He who is in the world. So this is, so think about what he's saying. He's saying, okay, be, be discerning. Pay attention. What is being taught? What is being preached? Is it from God? And, and now he's saying, if you've made it through that, and you have discerned well, it is by God's grace. Why do you right now believe the Gospel and not believe something false? Because He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So he who is in the world, the powers and the principalities through false teaching, through deceitful teachers, through doctrine taught by demons, has come your way, but it has been no match for the Spirit of God who resides in you, who promises to keep you and to finish His work across the finish line until you meet Jesus face to face. And He will not lose that battle in you. Jesus says, I will lose none the Father has given Me. No one can snatch them from My hand. The Holy Spirit who is in you, when the false teaching comes, enables you and empowers you to see through the lies of the devil and to cling to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Why are you not Mormon right now? Because of Jesus Christ. Because of the Gospel. Because that He who is greater than you, He who is in you, is greater than He who is in the world. Why are you not believing something else right now? Why have you not been deceived? The reason is God in you. Are you, are you appropriately thankful and grateful? Do you think that you're not in a cult right now because you were born into a Christian family? No, it is because He that is in you is greater than He that is in the world. You think you just had a good run? And you just had some circumstances that worked out well? Do you just think that you are lucky? Do you just think that you're more discerning than others? Do you think that you're brighter, that you're smarter? No, it is because of God in you, and that is always the only difference. So he, he's inspiring gratitude in our hearts. He's saying, take cheer. You are of God. You've been tempted by this garbage. You've overcome these lies because God's in you. Verse 5. They are from the world. The false teachers, the false teaching, the demons, the evil spirits and their teaching that would take Christ out of the center. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He's saying that some are, are rooted and founded in the world and the lies of the enemy. And so that's the well they draw from. They speak from the world and there's plenty to listen to them and who love it and who want to hear it. And it is those others who are from the world. But then he says that there are some who are rooted in God. And so you speak from God and you're drawing from this well. And he says, and those who are of God and those who have the Holy Spirit hear that teaching and say, I like that. Because it's from God. Who say, this is truth. This is what I need. Because the Holy Spirit hears His words that He inspired men to write about God. But then the world hears without the Spirit and says foolishness. Not helpful. For the weak. Silly. Myth. But those who are of God love it and cherish it. Do you love God's Word? Do you cherish God's Word? Do you hang on God's Word? What is John saying again? Have confidence.
in Christ. John 10. When He has brought out all His own, He goes before them and the sheep follow Him. That's Jesus. For they know His voice. That's what He's talking about here in 1 John. Jesus is described in the Gospel of John as a shepherd and His people are His sheep. And they do not run from Him. They hear His voice and they run to Him. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to My voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. In verse 26 and 27, But you do not believe because you are not part of My flock. My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. So to draw a couple conclusions, three things. Three maybe admonishments for us to take John's words seriously in our own life where we all know that we are bombarded by lies that come in the packaging of truth. One important thing for us to remember is do not listen to it. Do not entertain it. If it is not of God, do not listen to it. Do not entertain it. It is very popular today. Very popular. It, it, is, it is no longer popular for Christians to just be committed to their local church and to listen to teaching in their local church and fellowship with their local church and read books with their local church and listen to teaching their local church recommends. It is very popular now in this age of information and technology to take what you hear in your church and then to go out and to draw from a thousand different wells throughout the week. I can think of many just in my own ministry who have gone astray, who would not have gone astray if they simply would have come to me first and said, should I listen to this? But I've had people come to me after months of drawing from some putrid well and have now become convinced by doctrines taught by demons. Don't listen to it. Now, there are great wells to draw from other than here. But you should look at how God has designed the church and how God has designed your sanctification and how He has called some to lead and to teach and to instruct. And we should not all presume to be teachers. And you should be careful what you put in and not assume that your radar is sharp and swallow things you should not swallow. Really countless times, people have come to me after they've read the book. And I so wish they would come before. I do the same thing. I have teachers I go to. I have teachers I look to. I have pastors I follow. 
Say, is this, what do you think? Help me. Because this is God's gracious gift. I mean, we are on the foundation. We are built on a foundation now, praise God, of 2,000 years of God gifting and inspiring and enabling men through His Holy Spirit to understand and to help us to understand the meaning of God's Word. But in that same amount of time, the enemy has also been pushing forward his lies through his false teachers. So we've got to fight that battle well and not drink from these wells and drink from the good wells. So don't listen to it. I wouldn't even recommend you do this. Some have said, well, I've got my friends who are just wrapped up in this heresy and this false teaching, and I just, I really want to be able to know and relate to them and connect and understand, and so I'm going to not just Wikipedia it, that might be okay, but I'm going to immerse myself, and I've seen people do that. I'm going to immerse myself in this because I just want to know what's out there so that I can connect and maybe bring them out. That's foolish. I think, I think that's totally foolish. You need to be very careful. If we are susceptible the way John describes, then we need to be very careful. And if you discern that something is not saying at the center that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh, why are you going to absorb hours and days and weeks reading the stuff? Why not know the Gospel better and know the truth better and know Jesus better so that you can bring Him to your lost friends? It would be like this. It would be like I remember one day one of my sons. We had these pool toys. I think I told a story before that you put in a swimming pool, and then you pull it back and it sucks all the water up, and then you push it forward and you you spray pool water, right? Well, one of my sons comes running down the hall one day and he thought it'd be funny, actually a pretty good idea if you're a kid. He dunked it in the toilet <laughs> and sucked up the toilet water. Okay, that's another. That's another Christian bookstore. That's another one. So what we, when, you, when we immerse ourselves in something where we're saying, you know, I just I want to understand and I want to connect. That's like my son doing that and he starts spraying his brothers and I'm thinking, oh, that's funny, it's water and it's not. That would be like me saying, you know, well, I, I want to know what that, I'm going to go dunk my head in the toilet just so I can connect with my sons. I want to know what that felt like and what they experienced. I want to know the taste and the smell. I want to understand them. So I'm going, to go, I'm going to go dip my head in the toilet so that I can relate and connect to them. That's what we do when we say, okay, this is heresy. It's false doctrine, but I'm going to now immerse myself in it so that I can understand this better and relate better and connect better. Be very, very careful. That may just be the trickery of the devil to get you over the line. So, so be discerning. Don't, don't listen to it. If we do hear it, number two, if we do hear it, discern it. According to what John is saying. So when you know it's bad, stay away. Okay, stay away. Just cling to this. Cling to Christ. But here it is. It's on my doorstep. It's, I'm reading it. They're in it. They're, they're talking to me. Discern. Okay, where's Jesus? Okay. Is He the Christ? 
not just in word, but is, is, does this whole conversation, does this whole truth hang on it? Does it undermine that truth? Does it marginalize it? Does it add something to it? Does it take away from it? And if it does, we've got to close off and say that's not from God. That's not from God. I don't need that. I need God's Word and God's truth. And then number three, if you hear it and you discern it well, drop down to your knees and praise God. Say, God, thank You. I'm still here. Thank You I didn't fall for this. Thank You I didn't fall for that. Thank You that You are greater than he that is in the world. Because I started to hear it and it was attractive and it was appealing and I'm so thankful that Your Word rang true in my mind and in my heart and my soul and that it became repulsive to me. Thank You, God. God may not be proud or arrogant. May I know that it's all of grace. And there I go, but by the grace of God. Humble me through this, God. Give me a heart and a passion and a desire for Your truth, to know Your truth, to believe Your truth, to proclaim Your truth. And give me a discerning ear for what is not of You, God. And when you do, thank you, God. Thank you for preserving this miserable soul. I'll pray. And then we'll have our time of communion this afternoon. This family meal that we share together where we celebrate the covenant the promises, the relationship with Christ that was purchased on the cross. And so we remember His body and His blood through this bread and through this juice and renew this covenant with Him in gratitude. So if you're here and you are a believer this afternoon, and you are welcome to have communion with us, if this is your church family, permanently, temporarily, or if you're visiting from another church family, uh, this meal is for you. I'll pray and we'll have leaders up here to serve you. If you would take them back to your seat, we'll take them together. Father in heaven, thank you for your holy word. God, help us not to stray from it. God, help us not to be lured by things that are attractive but would contradict your word. Help us to know and to believe that Your Word and Your truth is enough. Just what You've given us. Exactly what You've given us. That we don't need anything else, Lord. We don't need any new light. We have the light You've chosen to reveal. Help us to not be insatiable, but to be satisfied with what You've chosen to reveal to us. And the mysteries, God, just help us to rest in the mystery until we see You one day face to face. God, for those of us who love You and who believe You, 
Lord, thank you for preserving us. Thank you for keeping your promise to keep us. But we know, Lord, that there is nothing in us that protects us. We know that but for your grace and your protection, we would stray tonight. God, keep us. God, if we have not taken your word serious, if we have not taken your truth seriously, convict our hearts now. For those of us who have become weak in our time with you, in our reading of your word, in our praying to you, help us to see now how susceptible we are to the lies of the enemy. Awaken us and bring us back to the kind of communion with you that we need and depend on. Bless this meal that we're about to partake. May it bring you so much glory. May you be pleased, God, as you look down on the hearts of your people. And may our gratitude radiate toward you. That you would know and hear and see through this how much we love you, God. We thank you and give you all praise, all glory, all honor. In the great name of your Son, Jesus, who is the Christ, come in the flesh. Amen.